In Ephesians chapter 2, when the Apostle Paul is celebrating the grace of God, he says he made us alive. See, Christians are alive in Christ. But the Lord of the church spoke to the church at Sardis and said, you think you're alive, but you're dead. What a sobering analysis from the Lord of the church. Boy, we need to hear what he has to say to the church of Sardis. How can we be alive instead of dead? We'll find out today on Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. We are in the book of Revelation. Uh, We are in chapter 3. We are looking at the church of Sardis, which Jesus addresses as the dead church. The dead church. That's a scary description. Uh, All of us would want to be uh, in the category where we are described as being full of life, right? That's, that's the church. The church is really full of the life of God. In fact, uh, the idea of enthusiasm has the idea, the, the Greek combination of entheos, which means to be full of God. When you're enthusiastic, it really has the idea of being full of God, full of life. And when you're around someone who's full of life, it's a beautiful thing. And when you're around somebody who's down in the dumps, as it were, and they're just not feeling great, and they're struggling, and they, they're even maybe depressed. Um, it can be hard. And we've all probably been in both places where we've felt like we're flying high on life, and everything's going well, and maybe we're not doing so great. Jesus addresses the church at Sardis with these words. I'm going to read the first couple of verses to get a flavor, and then we'll pray. He says, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up, Revelation 3, 2, and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come before your holy word tonight, we're just grateful for the time of worship, the time that we can fellowship with each other and Now to hear from your word. Each of these letters comes with a exhortation from the spirit. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. And we are one of your churches, God, uh, in this grand world that you have made. And we're here tonight to hear from your spirit, to have our hearts open to your word and to hear what you have to say to us. So Give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to us, Lord, your church, and may it be for our benefit that we be more uh, in love with you, more conformed into your image, and uh, more glorifying to you, Father. We pray all of this in Jesus' holy name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Some of you have heard this story before, but it's worth retelling. There's a true story of a young minister in Oklahoma who went to this little though long-standing church, and he had hopes of really reviving the ministry. He wasn't doing so great. He had stars in his eyes, great hopes for the future. He thought he could turn it around. He gave it his, his best effort, his best shot, week after week, but to no avail. The church 
just seemed to be as dead as a doornail. Finally, he had one last idea, and he se it seemed to work. He announced in the local newspaper on Saturday that the church had died, and on Sunday afternoon, there would be a funeral, funeral service for the church itself. All who wished could attend. For the first time in years, and his years there, the place was packed. In fact, people were standing outside on their tiptoes, looking through the window just to see this most unusual of all church services. Well, to their shock, because most of them got there 20 or 30 minutes early to get a seat, there was a casket down front. It was smothered with flowers. He told people as soon as the eulogy was finished, they could pass by and view the remains of the dearly beloved that they were uh, putting to rest that day. Well, the people could hardly wait until he finished the eulogy, and he slowly opened the casket, he pushed the flowers aside, and the people walked by. They filed by one by one to look in to the dearly beloved. But something happened that made them leave rather sheepishly, feeling guilty as they walked out the door. Because inside the casket, the young pastor had placed a large mirror. As they walked by, they saw the church that had died, one by one, as they looked at their own reflection in the mirror. I would say that's pretty clever, and that's kind of what we're after tonight as we look at the dead church. I'm sure that you have all experienced places where you've gone into a church and uh, it seems to be rather lively and stuff seems to be going on and people smile at you and shake your hand and hug you. Some of you may have not wanted the hug, but they hugged you anyway. Some of you may have received a couple of holy kisses. You may not have appreciated that, but at least you had a sense that there was life, that there was excitement, that the life of God was there. But then there's other experiences that we've had with maybe places and maybe even professing Christians where it didn't seem to be that way at all. There seemed to be something wrong, something missing. Well, that would be the church at Sardis. It is called the dead church. As we've gone through these churches, I've tried to give you an idea of some geographic locations. So if you look up at the screen for a second, here we have the seven churches of Asia Minor. And if you look on the coast and then you go to the right from Smyrna, you will see the church of Sardis. Each of these churches are roughly 40 to 60 miles apart. So if you take a look at the location of Sardis, it's just east of Smyrna and about 50 miles east of uh, Smyrna and about the same distance from Ephesus. So that gives you an idea of the ancient uh, area of Sardis. Now, you can visit the ruins of Sardis today and one of the uh, extremely interesting things about the city is that it was built on what's called a natural citadel or uh, an acropolis that raised about 1,500 feet be, be, uh, above the uh, ground level there where you can see some of the ruins. So the actual acropolis is in the distance there, and you can get a little closer look at it. What's happened over the years is that the, there's been some erosion in the area, and so you can see some of the, the remains, and some of the remains actually date back, I believe, either to the Byzantine period or to the actual time where the Church of Sardis existed. And so this, this, uh, these are some of the remains there. And being in this, in this area where they had this acropolis or this, this incredible uh, kind of built-in fortress made the city feel like it was really impregnable and could not be conquered. Sardis is situated on the east bank of the Pactolus River, as I mentioned, about 50 miles east of Smyrna and Ephesus. 
It's situated where two rivers meet, the Hermas and the Pactolus rivers, and it occupied a rocky northern spur of what's called Mount Tamolus. And at the valley, there's a, the, at the foot of the mountain, you can see some of those ruins there. In ancient Sardis, it was a well-fortified, easily, fortified, easily defended city. Uh, as I mentioned, these perpendicular walls that rose uh, from the surface, the natural citadel, and it, was the, it became the capital of the ancient Lydian Empire, then passed successively to the Persians, to the Greeks, and then to the Romans during the respective dominance periods of each of those uh, empires. So if you've ever you know, uh, gotten into some history as you read your Bible, you wish that you would have listened a little bit more in history class, right? Because you learn stuff about the Egyptian empire from the Bible and the Assyrian empire and the Babylonian empire. And then you get down into the Medo-Persian empire, the Grecian empire, the Roman empire. And that's really where much of the Bible centers itself is in these successive empires where Israel has to deal with Egypt in the Exodus and then Israel has to deal with Assyria and some of the Old Testament books and Babylon in the book of Daniel, for example, and the Medo-Persian Empire in the book of Esther. And down through the ages, you have Alexander the Great in the Grecian Empire. You have the intertestamental period and then to the Roman Empire where they are reigning during the time of Jesus Christ. And Sardis became a part of the Roman Empire during their particular reign and it had a very important place. Uh, but back in the day, during the reign of Cyrus, the king of Persia, um, this kingdom of Lydia had a famous king named Croesus, or, or Croesus. Uh, he was supposed to be one of the wealthiest people in the, in the world. In fact, a saying went about during those days that if someone was wealthy, they were as rich as Croesus or Croesus. It was also the home of Aesop. Archaeologists have found hundreds of crucibles in this area, used for refining gold in the ruins of Sardis. Jewelry found in local cemeteries show great prosperity in this part of the world. And I mentioned that uh, you can see some ruins today. This happens to be ruins of the ancient temple of Artemis. There was a, a temple uh, dedicated to a Greek goddess uh, called Cabela, or at least the Greek goddess was Artemis, but Cabela was the one that came before. And these are the ruins of the temple of Artemis. And so there's some incredibly high pillars here. I think there's about 56 Ionic pillars here. And interestingly enough, the, the building that you can see closest to you in the photo is actually a little church. And somewhere along the way, even at the time when the remains of the temple of Artemis were there, and Artemis was that Greek goddess of fertility and that kind of thing, and there were a lot of terrible pagan festivals and rites that happened around her worship. There was a little church built in this area. And in fact, when they looked at the remains of the city of Sardis, and archaeologists have done quite a bit of work here, they found a lot of different things, including an area where there were a bunch of shops found. And they, they found like the doors of these shops, and they found inscriptions here. And they have found both Jewish symbols like menorah, for example, and they have found Christian symbols like a cross and even a fish. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. 
apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Visit the Walk in Truth store today and get the DVD series in Revelation by Michael Lance. The book of Revelation reveals the person and work of Jesus Christ. This book will give you a unique glimpse into heaven and the worship that happens there. It also reveals the future. We see the seven-sealed scroll, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the mark of the beast, and learn about the new heaven and the new earth. Join Michael Lance in these DVD series of the dramatic, often sobering book. Visit the Walk in Truth store today to order your copy of the DVDs, all available to help you dive deeper into the book of Revelation. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. When they looked at the remains of the city of Sardis, and archaeologists have done quite a bit of work here, they found a lot of different things, including an area where there were a bunch of shops found. And they, they found like the doors of these shops, and they found inscriptions here, and they have found both Jewish symbols like menorah, for example, and they have found Christian symbols like a cross and even a fish. And so there was a, a great population of Jewish people in this area, and a struggling church was here as well. There's a little closer look at the church structure. Uh, there were bathhouses here. There was uh, an imperial cult. And when I say that, I'm talking about the worship of the emperor. And in the uh, bathhouses and what's called the gymnasium, there was a lot of pagan stuff that went on there, including rooms for education where they would teach their worldview to up-and-coming children, just like we have classes for ages from our young ones all the way up to our high schoolers. They would teach their worldview under the watchful eye of the statue of the emperor of Rome. And so what you were basically getting was Rome's worldview, Rome uh, ruling with an a, a iron fist and so forth. They would have, uh, the Greeks would be here and they would have they would focus on exercise. The Greeks were really big into exercise. In fact, in their gymnasiums, they exercised in the nude. They did this because they felt like the human body was something that they really wanted to celebrate. And so they felt like the human body in action, doing sports and everything was one of the most you know, beautiful things and so forth. And so this is some of the stuff that went on here. This is a picture of uh, and the ancient remains of the imperial cult and a temple that was built to one of the Caesars. And they found something else interesting in this area of the world. They found one of the largest ancient synagogues that's ever been discovered. In fact, this synagogue, which is a worship place for the Jews, could seat a thousand people. And so it's one of the, the biggest ones that they found anywhere. And what they found within the walls of this synagogue is some Roman figurines, like an eagle, for example, and even and some, some of the, uh, the statues have lost, like the, the faces have been rubbed off and so forth, but these are images of lions. And so within the uh, ancient synagogue and within the church, they were built right in the midst of all this paganism. And so some questions come up about the nature of the religious folk in Sardis. 
Were they people who were trying to make a difference right smack dab in the middle of the pagan culture? Or had they somehow settled to be part of the pagan culture? When you look at remains, you can only come to some educated speculation, right, about what may be going on here. You can study archaeology, you can look at remains, you can look at Christian symbols or buildings and sites and come to some conclusions. But when you take the remains of the city with the biblical text, now you're starting to get somewhere. And what we can see with the remains and the biblical text is that the church at Sardis, look at verse 2, had a name that they were alive, but they are pronounced dead by the Lord Jesus Christ. So the conclusion that I would come to as someone who studies the Bible and looks at archaeology and wrestles with some of these things in terms of what churches were doing and what they look like is that the Jewish community and the Christian community in this area probably was engaged in a lot of compromise. Now, why would they compromise their values? Why would they, in the midst of a pagan city, why would they give in to the temptations and so forth? Well, Here's one of the reasons. One of the reasons was because if you did not worship the emperor on the days that he was worshipped, you could be heavily persecuted and even pay with your life. But Christians were able to find some measure of safety within the walls of the synagogue. Here's how they could do it. The Jews had a special exemption from the Romans, and the Romans had said, if you're a Jew and you're part of the synagogue and we do the annual uh, emperor worship and we, we want you to uh, give offerings to the emperor and so forth, you can be exempt if you're a Jewish. But the Jewish religious leadership in these towns said, we have no part with the Christians. They are not a sect of Judaism. We, uh, we decry what they do. We don't believe in their Messiah. We do not believe in Jesus. So if you were a Christian in Sardis, you might act like you were a Jew and not name the name of Jesus because you could find a covering in the synagogue. In other words, you could act like you were Jewish, not confess Jesus publicly, and you would somehow find a covering and be exempt perhaps from uh, Roman persecution. This great city of Sardis was pretty overconfident because of their location and this natural citadel, and they were invaded twice in their history. Um, in about 550 BC, what happened is Cyrus, uh, the Persian king, invaded this area, and he wanted to take it down, but there was no way to get there. And so, you know, you, you came to the foot of this mountain, and you, you were faced with this incredible uh, Acropolis, and so what did you do? So the story goes, and it was, it's told by Herodotus, one of the Greek um, historians that, you know, Croesus or Croesus thought he was fine. So he went to bed one night, even though the Persian army was at the base of the mountain. And they would only guard the one approach uh, to the city because that's all they felt that they had to guard. But there was a, one of the, um, the men that, were, that was guarding the wall apparently dropped his helmet over the side of the hill. He looked around, didn't think anybody was looking. He made his way down, picked up his helmet, and climbed back up the wall. Well, there happened to be a soldier from the Persian army that was watching. And he went, aha, there is a way up there. He went and told the Persian king. The Persian king thought it was a good idea. And one by one, the Persian army began to scale their way up this wall. 
They found a way to do it. And they, the city was not really paying much attention. And one by one, the soldiers went up and the city was sacked because they thought that they couldn't be defeated. And so they left an area of the city unguarded. Here's what we are finding with the seven churches, folks. Every time you see some descriptions of the city and the way of the city life, often and almost always, there is a mirroring between what's going on in the city and what's going on in the church. And here's what was happening in the church at Sardis. They were not really guarding the gates of their lives. The enemy was coming in. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us that the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking what? Someone to devour. And so the church at Sardis had been overrun by the enemy army, not a physical army, but a spiritual one. And much of the church had died because they had left their lives unguarded. Now, I think you can see the application tonight. When we assume that we're going to be okay, when we leave areas of our lives exposed, when we think, oh, the devil can never get an entree here, it's unscalable, it's, it's a perpendicular wall, he can't get up this 1,500 feet, uh, I'm cool, I'll just guard this area of my life. What we find is the enemy can find a way. When we just put on one piece of the armor instead of the whole armor of God, right? When we don't think that we need, you know, maybe to go to church as often or pray as often or guard our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds. Well, they felt so secure that those who were in Sardis paid the ultimate price. Well, history tends to repeat itself, and it did, during the reign of Antiochus the Great, about 195 BC, uh, more than three and a half centuries later, after the Persians sacked the city, Sardis was rebuilt. But by utilizing the services of a sure-footed mountain climber, his name was Lagoras, he found a place that was altogether unguarded because of the extreme precipice near it. His army entered the city by another route while the defenders in careless confidence, were content. They didn't guard this place. And this happened again under the reign of Antiochus the Great. And the city was taken again because they left the gates unguarded. They assumed that they were not going to be gotten to, but they were. And this is the problem that we have in our life. We often leave areas of our lives exposed. We leave areas of our lives unguarded and the enemy can get a foothold. Well, we really need to hear the lessons that God has for us as we hear about the church in Sardis. You know, I think about the watchman on the wall. I think about Genesis 2 when God placed Adam in the garden to cultivate it and guard it or keep it how he failed to guard his bride in Genesis chapter 3, and how the call of men, husbands, and pastors and leaders is to guard the gates of our eyes and our ears, to guard our families, to surround them with the truth of the Word of God. This is why it's so important that you stay grounded in the Word of God and make sure you're connected to a local fellowship. Well, hey, I'm Pastor Michael Lance, and friend, it is our goal that Walk in Truth is an effective media resource provides Christians and non-believers alike a biblical response to current events and cultural issues. 
and we're hoping to reach more towns and cities across the nation. I'd like to remind you that we are a listener-supported ministry. Being on the radio, having a podcast, having someone edit the sermons and put the show together all costs money. And I'm so grateful for the members in this congregation at Living Truth behind this radio broadcast and the listeners. And if that's you, I just want to say thank you that have believed in this ministry enough to financially support it. I know that that is a step of faith on your part, and I deeply appreciate it. Now, would you consider giving a one-time financial gift? It doesn't matter what the size is. It could be $10. It could be $100. It could be $1,000. Please pray and give what you can because we want to impact more lives with what you're hearing. Now, you can give online at walkintruth.com or you can mail in your donation to this address. It is P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. Walk in Truth, P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. Just know that when you give, you are partnering with us to get the truth of God's word into the ears and hearts of people all around the nation. And we want this program to go everywhere that God wants it. And we deeply appreciate your partnership. Now come back on Friday for part two of the teaching about Sardis, the dead church. We'll make sure that we're not one of those. We want to be alive, man. We want to have passion. So we'll be talking about the importance of repentance and aligning our lives with the Lord of the church so that we're not dead, but alive with the passion of the Holy Spirit. Well, until then, may God richly bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.